0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see y'all on a this uh, beautiful uh, holiday weekend. Uh, it's good to see you know a good sized crowd here today. My name is Tony. If you uh, if this is your first time here, I'm, uh, I'm the discipleship uh, minister here at the church, and we're going to be talking about uh, the book of Ruth. We've been in that for a couple of weeks, and as I was preparing for this, um, it made me think back a long time ago, uh, about 30 years ago, to when I was dating a a certain special someone who would become my wife. Uh, I remember that I was... It's probably the first four or five dates that we had. She hates it, by the way, when I tell these stories. But um, it was probably one of the first uh, at least five dates that we had. And and I was going to take her to a drive-in movie. Now, how many of you remember what a drive-in movie was? Yeah, raise your hands. Gosh, a lot of you. Okay, if you're under 30 years old, a drive-in movie (laughs) is is just that, you drive in, and you're in this big field, there's this big screen in the front, and uh, you're in the privacy of your car, and in the really old days, they had a little post that had these little speakers hanging on it, and you would take that speaker out, hanging on your window. You guys are remembering that, right? You can picture that speaker. Later, they got a little more modern, and you could actually tune in your AM radio. Uh, It's a little bit difficult, because the lips never really matched, you know, with the sound. But, uh, but the drive-in movie, was, uh, it was a fun thing to do as a family. And so I was going to take uh, my girlfriend at the time, my new girlfriend, to the drive-in. And so I'm standing in the living room of her mother and father's house, and I'm waiting for her. And she comes out, and we start to leave, and her mother, Barb, uh, says, wait a minute. And so uh, she goes down the hall, and uh, she comes back, and she hands me a blanket and says... It's, it's it might be cold tonight, you guys might need this. And I'll tell you what, I was a little thrown back by that because there's another reputation that drive-in movies had. <laughs> it's a place where, you know, a young couple could go and they could do certain things in the privacy of their car no one could see, especially when the window's fogged up. And uh, so when she handed me this blanket, I didn't know how to take that. I was a little thrown back and... I was thinking this could mean one of three things. One, she is the coolest mother of any girl I've ever dated. And but that's not very likely, I thought. And then I thought I thought that maybe um, they, they were a little tired of having Chris in the house, and so they were trying to marry her off, trying to push the relationship a little further. And I was hoping that wasn't likely. But, and then I thought, well, maybe she's just really naive and she trusts me and she's just worried about us being cold. And you know as I got to know Barb a little better it was it was the latter. Uh she trusted me uh and she was just concerned about us getting too cold on a on a fall night. And uh so that that and I will tell you just so you know nothing happened that <laughs> night. I was the perfect gentleman and uh you can ask Chris. So So reading this chapter 3 of Ruth made me think about uh that uh, that particular night because I first took Chris's mother's uh, gesture as being maybe questionable advice. And so we're going to question maybe a suggestion that wasn't really appropriate. And so that's what we're going to see as Naomi gives Ruth uh, some suggestions. But before we do that, I wanted to recap where we are. We've gone through the first couple of chapters in the book of Ruth, which is an awesome story, by the way. If you haven't read through it all yet, it's a short book. It doesn't take long. And so, But I want to catch up on where we are. Um, first of all, there's this family, and the patriarch of this family is named Elimelech. And he has a wife, Naomi, and he has two sons, Malan and Killian. And so they live in Bethlehem. And this is not too far, maybe a day's journey to Jerusalem. And so they're kind of living, in, it's the kingdom of Judah. It's kind of the religious epicenter of the time. And this is set in the time of Judges. And this is the time before King David. And so they're they're living in this area, and there's a famine that comes over the area. And so there's not a whole lot of food. There's not a rain, and so there's probably limited water. And so Elimelech is probably going to do what a lot of fathers would do. He's He's making a decision to try to improve the position of his family. But it turns out his decision isn't all that great. It's not a good move. He decides to move his family... To the kingdom of Moab. Now the promised land is on the west side of the Jordan River. That's where God sent the the Jews into the promised land. Well this is crossing back over the river. And this is going into a pagan territory. In this kingdom of Moab. And uh, like I said this is not a cool place. Uh, There's pagan worship that's going on there. And uh, the god of the day in Moab's name was Chemosh. And Chemosh demanded human sacrifice. And so there were a lot of babies that littered uh, the land of Moab, a lot of dead babies that were sacrificed to this pagan false god. So the Moabite people themselves, they're descendants of Lot's incest with his own daughters, if you remember that story. And so this is not the best decision in the world to move his family. And it's kind of a barren land, too. It's kind of a desert land. Uh, So it just kind of doesn't... Make much sense. I don't know what Elimelech was thinking. So they move. He moves his whole family to Moab. And then, not long after that, they move there. Elimelech, the dad, dies. And so then the boys, Malan and Killian, they make some bad decisions and they marry Moabite women. Their wives were Ruth and Orpah. And so that's kind of going against God's plan as well because He said, as Randy talked about a couple of weeks ago, We've got to be careful not to yoke ourselves unequally. And so they took on Moabite wives. And so ten years later on in the story, the two sons, Maile and Killian, they die. And so that leaves Naomi and her daughters-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, there by themselves in this barren land. They're women on their own. Now something you really need to take into account is the fact that women in those days had no identity short of who they were married to. They weren't allowed to own land. It was only through their husbands that they could could have any ownership of land. And so if they didn't have family to take care of them, a lot of times they're just going to die. They're going to starve to death. And so here they are alone in this this barren foreign land. And so Naomi hears that the, the famine is lifting in Bethlehem. And so she decides that's the best place place for her to be. So she's going to go home. And she's distraught. She knows she's got family there. At least maybe she has a chance to survive. And she tells her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, go home to your parents. That's the best thing you can do. I've got nothing for you. I've got no more sons. I'm too old to even think about having sons. Go back to the safety of your parents. And so they didn't want to go, but... uh, After some insistence, it seems, uh, Orpah, she gave in, and she went back to her her parents. And we don't hear much from her again. And so, but Naomi, or I'm sorry, but Ruth, she refused. She clung to her mother-in-law. And she made some statements. She said, where you go, I'll go. Where you die, I'll die. And here's the most important decision that Ruth made in her life. She said, the God that you worship, I'll worship. Ruth had a conversion experience. And so Naomi gave in, and Naomi and Ruth are going to trek back to Bethlehem, and it's an arduous journey. They descend in the Jordan River Valley about 3,000 feet and uh, probably about 20 miles. Then they descend up into Bethlehem another 4,500 feet and about 18 miles. And so this is an arduous journey, and it's a dangerous journey for two women on their own. It's important to note that. You know, we walked and we were in Israel. We walked on what's called the Wadi Ket. Which was just a two-mile stretch of this road. And I'm telling you, it was rough. It wasn't a road. It was a, a path cut into the cliffs. And so they went on this journey by themselves. They did make it back uh, to Bethlehem. And Naomi, being a Jew, knows the laws. And so she knows the law of gleaning. And so what that means is that uh, when you, if you owned a field and you were growing wheat or barley, that you would leave the outside edges unharvested so that the poor could come and they could pick up the wheat for their, for their food and for their money. It was kind of the welfare system of the day. And so the gleaning was this process. So Naomi sent Ruth, who I think was the younger, more able-bodied person, sent her out into the fields to glean. She just so happened to land in the field of of a guy named Boaz, who just so happened to be a a distant relative of Elimelech, who just so happened to show up at that field that day. And so Boaz takes note of this young woman gleaning in the fields. And here's here's a detail we can't miss. When he approached his workers, he said, May the Lord bless you. And they responded, may the Lord bless you. This is just a little insight, I think, an important detail that the author put in there to kind of give us an idea that Boaz is a godly man. And we're going to see a little bit more of that later on. And so he takes note of Ruth, and he hears the story about how she's caring for her mother-in-law, how she's honoring her mother-in-law. And I think that touched his heart. I think that touched him in a big way, obviously, because he told his guys, drop some extra along the way so that she can have a little more. And he said, and don't bother her. And there's a reason why he said that, because she is a Moabite woman, she's a foreigner, she's in this land, and she doesn't have a husband. These guys could have probably gotten away with a lot with her. But he said, leave her alone. Not only that, but he invited her to lunch. And then she, 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 he shared enough of the lunch that she could take food home to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so this gleaning, I think, probably continued on through the harvest. And today we're going to look at chapter 3, and we're going to see that this is a time when the harvest is nearing its end. And so Naomi's going to make some suggestions to try to improve their position. Before we do that, I'm a visual person, so I wanted to, uh, you know, we've heard about these lands. We've heard about these towns. We've heard all about this in Israel, I've heard those all my life, but I never really knew where they were. And I think after traveling there, I really want to share that with you. I really want you to understand where these places are. So the, uh, I've got a map here I'd like to put up. And this is a map of Israel in the time of Judges. You can see the kingdom of Judah is to the left of that large body of water. That's the Dead Sea. That's to the west of the, uh, of the Jordan River. And uh, it's not shown on here, but Bethlehem is just a little south of Jerusalem. And then across the uh, Jordan River, across the Dead Sea in purple, you see the kingdom of Moab. And that's where Elimelech moved uh, his family. We, don't, we know we've heard about Jerusalem. We hear about Bethlehem a lot. We don't talk about Moab a lot. Uh, but I've got another picture here. It's just kind of a, just eye candy for you. This is a picture that I took uh, from the hotel room. Eric remembers this. Uh, this was looking across the Dead Sea. And you see some mountains in the back there. And they're kind of hazy because we were experiencing some sandstorms for a couple of days while we were there. Those mountains are called the Moab Mountains. And so what you see across that landscape, across the Dead Sea, that's the land of Moab that we're talking about in the Bible. This next shot is just the sun rising over the land of Moab, reflecting off of the Dead Sea. They got us up pretty early every day when we were uh, traveling. And so, just wanted to share those with you. I got a thousand of them. So, let's go ahead and let's get started. Now that you kind of know, you kind of can pinpoint where we are here. Let's get started in uh, chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, uh, open that up to the book of Ruth. We're going to start with verse 1. Follow on your apps. We'll have it on the screens. It says this Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her My daughter shouldn't I find security for you so that you will be taken care of This is kind of interesting to me I think this is going to kind of this kind of helps to heighten a little bit about what Naomi's kind of priorities were here Who's been taken care of who so far I mean Ruth has been the one doing all the heavy lifting right And now Naomi says shouldn't I find security for you I think what she was saying was, shouldn't you help me secure my future? Because they were, she was probably starting to worry. The harvest is coming to an end. There's no more gleaning. There's no more food on the table. And so I think Naomi is hatching a little plan here, but I think she's going to start uh, giving some sketchy advice as we see as we move on in these verses. She said this, Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. And so I don't know if you guys know what winnowing barley is, and so I wanted to take just a second to maybe help describe that. And I've got another photo up here for you. This is uh, from a place uh, called Kephar Kedem, if I can get that right. Uh, This is a place, a, a small farm in the Galilean mountains, not too far from Nazareth. And what you're looking at here is a threshing floor. And so uh, this is our friend Enoch. I can't say that in Hebrew very well because I have to make a sound that kind of sounds like you're trying to bring something up, and I can't do that, so we'll call him Enoch. And you can see there's some wheat spread along the floor. And what they would do is there's there's a sled that has some rocks and some sharp objects on the bottom of it. They weight that down, then they drag it across the wheat back and forth. And what that does is it breaks the kernel of the wheat out of the chaff. And then they take what's called a winnowing fork, kind of looks like a pitchfork, and they throw it up in the air. The chaff floats down slowly, but the kernels are heavier and they fall down first. So then they rake up the chaff, they burn it, and then they scoop up uh, the barley or the wheat. And that's what uh, winnowing barley means. And so let's go ahead and consider on. Here's where it gets a little tricky, uh, a little complicated. When uh, Naomi says this, to, to Ruth says wash put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes go down to the threshing floor but don't let the man know that you're there wait until he's finished eating and drinking and when he lies down notice that place where he's lying and go and uncover his feet and lie down there then he will explain to you what you should do and so what goes on at the threshing floor apparently um What's happening is these guys have been planting. They've been cultivating. They've reaped their harvest. And, and now they're, they're, they're actually there on the threshing floor. And folks, this is payday. And so this is when all of their work pays off. This is when they collect the product. This is like money. And so this is a happy time for these guys. And it's no place for women, we're going to see, as we continue on in the verses. And so they're celebrating They're eating, and they're drinking, and they're making merry, And so, like I said, this is no place uh, for a woman. Uh, And I think what Naomi is suggesting here is a little questionable. Now, how did Boaz see Ruth up until this time? He only saw her in the fields. It's hot there, folks. She was probably all sweated up, pitted out, probably not looking her best when she's out there working in the field. And so what Naomi is saying, clean yourself up. Put some smell-em-on. <laughs> Go out, and, and I think what she was saying was, put yourself out there and make yourself available uh, to Boaz. You know, some people say that Naomi just knew the providential power of God and that, that you know, Boaz would treat her like a, like a gentleman. I really don't really believe that. I'm not saying that that's not totally true, but I really think that Naomi, her actions kind of represented the fact that desperate times called for desperate measures. I really think what she was saying to Ruth was, go take one for the team for us. We need security. (laughs) And I think that she was given questionable advice. And let's see how Ruth uh, responds as we go through um, verse 5. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her to do. After Boaz ate and drank and was in good spirits, remember this is a party, he went to lie down at the end of a pile of barley. Then she went in secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled and he turned over. And there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, I am your slave. Excuse me. I am Ruth, I am your slave. Spread your cloak over me, for you are a family redeemer. And so what was Ruth asking of Boaz? This is kind of a forward statement for those times. Ruth was asking for an engagement. Ruth was asking for Boaz to be her husband. And let's look at uh, Boaz's response. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness than before because you have not pursued younger men which are rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do whatever you say. Remember that quote. Since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character, now lie down until morning. So so she lay down at his feet until morning but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz says, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And Ruth told, and he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. And when she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley. And then she went into town. Okay. Now let's get into the thick of things here a little bit. Um, let's fast. There you go. Let's fast forward several thousand years. Now there's a spark that's happened here. There's a connection. There's a romance, I think, that's blossomed. Now, in our culture, what would a young couple, let's say statistically, what would a couple do in this instance? And in a lot of cases in our world, a couple would move in together. They'd get an apartment, and they would give it a trial run. And, you know, because you you don't buy a car unless you kick the tires and, and you take it for a test drive, right? But let me tell you, that's not God's plan. Amen. It's not God's plan for us. And God knows what's best for us. And statistically, whichever study you want to believe, it, it, the statistics aren't good. It's anywhere from between 30% to 150% that this arrangement, if, if it goes on to marriage, will fail. Folks, you're not when 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 people move in together, when they cohabitate, they're not preparing for marriage. Statistically we know they're preparing for divorce. Amen. And that's just that 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 bears it out. And so God's plan is one man, one woman united in marriage, becoming one. When you're living together and you're maintaining separate checkbooks and separate schedules and separate lives, it's just not what God intended. And it's not the best for us. And I'm not standing up here on an ivory tower because I can tell you in my life as a younger man I made relationship decisions that were stupid. And so I'm not sitting here saying that I've done something that you've not or anything else. I'm not trying to poke anybody in the eye. I'm just saying that I wish I would have had someone at that age who would speak the truth into me and would tell me what God's plans are because they are better than ours. They trump ours altogether. And so let's go back to our story, and let's, let's look at uh, maybe Naomi's suggestions and the, and the response that maybe she was thinking about getting versus Boaz's response. And so in this case, uh, I think Naomi was expecting something else, but, but Ruth's actions heightened Boaz's respect for her. It made him honor her even more. And so I'm not sure that's exactly what Naomi had in mind when she made her suggestions. See, Boaz was pleased that she chose him over somebody who was younger, because there are apparently other guys that were richer, or just as rich as him, that were younger. And you know, he didn't take advantage of her, and he didn't think less of her. Naomi had told uh, Ruth, he will tell you what to do, but... He turned that on its head and said, I will do whatever you say to Ruth. It's kind of interesting. He didn't lay a hand on her. He protected her physically. It was midnight. He didn't let her go out on her own to go home. But he protected her reputation as well because he sent her out before daylight so that other people wouldn't see a woman leaving the threshing floor and kind of connect the dots on their own. And so he protected her virtue and he protected her physically and we're going to see that he's a man that follows God's laws let's back up and go back to verses 12 and 13 it says yes it is true that I am a family redeemer but there is a redeemer closer than I am stay here tonight and in the morning if he wants to redeem you that's good let him redeem you but if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives I will And so Boaz understands the law. Boaz is prepared to abide by the law even if it means he doesn't get the girl. Boaz is a God-honoring man. Now see, this, this kinsman redeemer, I don't know if you guys know what a kinsman redeemer is. You've probably heard that several times. But how it worked, this was also a law, Mosaic law, It says that that if a man dies and he owns property, that a relative, the closest relative, can claim that property. But here's the catch. Along with that comes the family, comes the wife, comes the kids, comes whatever, the mother-in-laws. And so they can redeem that land, but they have to take on the family. And so Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, but apparently there's someone that's closer in line than he is. And so he's going to honor the law, regardless of his own desires, and he's following God's law to the T. And so let's look at uh, Ruth. Let's look at sixteen and eighteen. She went. This is Ruth. She went to her mother-in-law Naomi, who asked her, "How did it go, my daughter?" Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her, and she said, "He gave me these six measures of barley." Because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until this issue is resolved today. So Boaz honored Ruth, but he also honored her mother-in-law. He also honored, he was a God-honoring man. I can't say that enough. You know, Naomi knew. I think Naomi might have been a little shocked by this response. I I honestly think she was expecting something else, but she knew right away that if he was a godly man, that he's not going to rest, and he's going to resolve the issue quickly, and it's going to happen fast. She recognized that Boaz was a serious man, a serious man of God, and that he was God-honoring. I still, I think Boaz could have had his way with Ruth that night maybe no one would have ever known and if maybe if they did they might not have cared again she was a Moabite woman who was single but he didn't do that I think that he could have sent her out into the darkness out into the danger and wouldn't have suffered any consequences he didn't do that he could have taken Ruth as his own that very night and said the heck with this other guy and probably could have won the battle but he didn't do that he honored the law Again, even if it didn't mean that he got Ruth as a wife. And so I think as you see this, I think you start to see a glimpse of Jesus in Boaz. I think that's what this story is all about. As the story goes on, we know that Boaz does get the girl. That Boaz does uh, marry Ruth. And they have a son named Obed. And it's through their lineage several generations uh, removed that we're going to see the birth of another guy. You might have heard at him, heard of him. His name's Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy how things work? You know, we see all these lineages in the Bible. We gloss over those, but folks, those are there to show us God's plan because they all point right to Jesus and to the birth of Christ. The Boaz was a redeemer of a pagan Moabite woman, and it's through his bloodline that the world received the ultimate kinsman-redeemer, and that's Jesus. He's the one who takes the sins of the world. He's the one who pays the ultimate price so that we can be redeemed too. You think you deserve redemption? I sure don't feel like I do. Do you even know what redemption really means? Webster's definition for redemption is this to compensate for the faults or bad acts of someone or something. To state that in a way uh, that's meaningful to us, we are sinful, horrible people who disobey God's laws, and we're redeemed only by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Are you redeemed? Have you received redemption? Do you know how to do that? You know, I think the Apostle Paul says it best. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. And that's it. If you're a Christian, you've been redeemed. You've made that confession. you followed in baptism. You totally understand that. You know, I come here every time I stand up on this stage... I know I'm probably talking to the majority of the crowd or people that have made that confession. But you know, I know there's always a chance there's someone out there who hasn't done that. And so I think I would be uh, just totally crazy or remiss if I didn't mention that today's the day you can receive that gift. That you can accept God as your Lord and Savior and then you can begin this journey towards moving closer to Him and living the life That pleases Him. And doing the things that He calls us to do. And so that can start right now. And I really don't think there's any reason to wait. I don't know what happens when I walk out the door today. We're not promised another hour. But if you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus' promise. I'll be be up here during this last song. I'll be right up here in the front. I would love to pray those prayers with you. Maybe you've been at this Christian thing a a long time and maybe um, you just need, there's just some stuff going on in your life. Maybe you've been kind of neglecting your conversations with God. Uh, I would love to help you pray through that. If you're going through things that are tough, you know, we all do, I would love to pray those prayers with you. So I'm going to be hanging around up here uh, after this last song. And so stick around with us. This story is an awesome story. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some real high-profile preachers right now that are out there saying the Old Testament's irrelevant. That it's just a dusty old document that really doesn't have anything to do uh, with, with Jesus. And I'm telling you what, there's nothing more false than that. Amen. Jesus is woven out through the Old Testament, and everything points right to Him, and this is a perfect example of that. Amen. So stick with us in this study as we continue on in the book of Ruth. Would you all pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this special day that we can just stop and pause and reflect and study and connect with you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather around your table on the Sabbath day. And we just thank you for who you are. God, I know we're celebrating a lot this weekend and this holiday, but I pray that we would never forget to celebrate you. I pray a special blessing on each and every one that's chosen to be here today. Lord, I offer all these things in your son's holy name. Amen.